Good morning, everybody. Thought about addressing you as the frozen chosen. <laughs> Pretty cold out there, isn't it? Hey, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. It's about three-fourths of the way back. That's where the Gospels are found, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're going to look at Luke's Gospel, and uh, we're going to look at chapter 2 today, verses 41 through 52. It's the last uh, 11 or 12 verses of the chapter is where we're going to be in this second week of the series we're calling The Life of Christ. And while you're turning there, you can see that we've got our banners up this week. We're so grateful for Diane Schlehan, one of our artists in our church, who I think has done a fantastic job of capturing the fact that Jesus not only lived long ago, but also he walks in the same world we do. We can learn from him. And uh, if you're uh, following along in the notes there, what I want you to see is that as we study Luke, as we spend time this next winter and spring studying Luke, We want to learn from Jesus' words, works, and way. We want to learn from Jesus' words, works, and ways. I think we have the triangle there. Last week on the whiteboard, it didn't quite look as good when I did it last week on the whiteboard as this does, but at the top of the triangle, you'll see the word words. On the left corner, you'll see the word works, and in the right corner, you'll see the word way. Oftentimes, as people have... uh, follow Jesus, they've paid a lot of attention to his words, which we need to do, and a lot of attention to his works, which we need to do, but we haven't paid as much attention to the way of Jesus. And friends, what I want you to know is it's the way of Jesus that so impacted so many people besides just his words and works. So we want to learn more and more about the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus, he was full of grace and truth. He was full of invitation and challenge at the same time. Amazing to follow him. And uh, here's why, as Brian already said at the top of the service, if the goal in life is to become like Jesus, and Romans 8, 29 says that's God's whole purpose for making you and me, is to make us like his son then how do we do that? And uh, here's, the, here's the line there, the second line of the notes. The way we understand that is to be with Jesus so we can learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus. To be with Jesus so we can learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus. In fact, I'll put this on the screen. Here's the series sentence we're going to look at many times throughout the series. Would you mind reading it with me so we get it in our system together, okay? We want to be with Jesus so we can learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus. And so that's really where we're going. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to study the only time the New Testament shares with us what happened in Jesus' life after he was born, a young child, before he became a man at 30. Luke's the only gospel that includes this account. And I find it fascinating, as we, as we saw last week, Luke carefully investigated all the details of Jesus' life, and he includes what none of the other gospel writers include. I think he probably can share this because he had a chance to be with Mary, Jesus' mother, and, and asked her a lot of details, and you can kind of feel that as you read these verses. But before we look at Jesus at 12 years old, I want to just tell you that the whole goal will be to learn the way of Jesus from that. And so let's pray and ask him to be our teacher. Now, Lord, I don't know how you do it, but you do. You teach us. And we ask, Lord, that this would be more than words, that it would be more than just a service. We pray that you would impart something into our hearts that only you can impart. And I'm trusting you for that because I know I don't have the skill to take it any farther than someone's ears. So I pray you'll take it to our minds and hearts for Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen. Okay, now let's look at this together. Uh, I'll I'll walk through these verses 
And um, <clears throat> again, when we get to verse 40, uh, 49 and also 51 and 52, I'll invite you to read with me. Instead of verse 41, I'm actually going to go back and talk about what happened when he was first born there in 39 and 40 and then catch up. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. This was back when Jesus was first born. Verse 40, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. Now, verse 41, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. If you ever look at a map, Nazareth uh, was north of Jerusalem. And so a lot of times, you know, the way we talk, we go, I went up to Chicago. But the reason why it says they went up to Jerusalem is because Jerusalem was always set high on a mountain. And so as they walked to Jerusalem, they went up. And so they went up to the festival according to the custom. By the way, there were three festivals, the festival of Passover, the festival of Pentecost, and the festival of shelters or booths that each Jewish person was supposed to celebrate and remember each year. And if at all possible, the law stated that they were to come to Jerusalem to celebrate that. So every devout Jew did that. That was required of the men, but not of the women. Notice that both his parents take him up. And whether or not this was Jesus' first time, we don't know. But this was the year before he would become a man. Jewish people, even today, celebrate with bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah. And uh, bar mitzvah is when a, a, a young boy becomes a man at 13, and bat mitzvah is when a young girl becomes a woman in Judaism. And so just know in the Jewish culture, this idea is the last year of Jesus' life before he would become a man, according to the law, Usually that meant that his father spent a lot of extra time with him in spiritual direction and that kind of thing. But Jesus goes up to Jerusalem. Now, I, I have never been to Jerusalem, but as I read and I've heard different people talk about it, it's not that big of a city. Springfield, I think the census, whenever I drive by the census board, says 117,000. And it's a pretty spread out city. Jerusalem was much more compact. Imagine compressing 200,000 people in one week into this city. It would have been an amazing thing. And uh, Jesus, the sensory overload that he was probably experiencing, the sights, the senses, the smells, everything. He's just taking it all in. And imagine that. So, uh, verse 43. After the festival was over, would have lasted a week, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Now, some people have thought, bad parents. But it's more complicated than that. It's actually different than that. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. And then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they not, did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Um, there's only been a few times that I lost track of my kids in a public place. And when it happened, it was panic city. It is one of the most scary things that can happen to you as a parent. And not only do you feel a sense of responsibility, but the vulnerability you feel for your kids and all that. So imagine what Mary and Joseph are experiencing. It's one thing for three hours. It's another thing for three days. And uh, again, why does it take three days? Well, we realize they probably, uh, a couple things. 
we're so used in our nuclear families of maybe three or four of us all loading up in the same car or van or whatever. We go places, and so it's much easier to keep track of that many people. But in that day, they traveled in big groups. You know, it says company there. And so what they would do, often in a village like Nazareth, is that the devout Jews that were going up to the festival, they would go in a big group. Usually the women and the children would go out front, and then the men and the younger uh, boys would stay you know, behind, and so they would or, or go behind them. So it would be a large group, and there were several benefits for this. Not only did it provide a rich fellowship time of sharing as you traveled together, but also it protected you from bandits. And so they made those kind of trips. So it would have been very easy if Jesus was hanging out with all the other boys his age or his cousins, his brothers or friends from Nazareth or whatever. It would have been easy for Mary to think, well, maybe he's with his friends or maybe he's with Joseph. And Joseph would think maybe he's with his mom, maybe he's with his friends. And so they just trusted that they were all leaving together. They get a day's journey away from Jerusalem they're not home yet, but they're a day's journey away from Jerusalem, and all of a sudden they're going to check tents and dinner that night, and they're going, hey, where's Jesus? And they realize he's not there. So it takes them another day's journey to get back to Jerusalem. Then it takes them, once they get back, it takes them a whole day in Jerusalem to find him. And guess where they find him? In the temple courts. The temple complex was very large, so this would have been one of the outer courts, probably the Temple of Women, since Mary was able to go in that, that direction. And there, there were rabbis that would be sitting teaching, and Jesus was sitting among them, doesn't look panicked at all, looks totally absorbed in what's going on. And this exchange that often went on between rabbis and teachers like that, where you learned how to ask questions and learned how to give answers to the questions given to you and that, Jesus was in the middle of all of this. And his parents are glad they found him, but they're also pretty freaked out. So notice this, if you're continuing to follow along with me there in 40, verse uh, 47. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Literally, it means, why did you cause us to suffer pain like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Now, Jesus' first words come next, that we ever hear him speak on earth. It's verse 49, and I want to ask you to read it out loud with me in that first gray box. Would you join me? Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now, let me just stop. Many of us grew up, if we grew up in the church at all or hearing the Bible ever before, maybe you've heard this next line. Let's read that together. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And that idea can be translated, it literally means the things of my father, the affairs of my father, the work of my father. That's all the idea in this word that's being translated house or business. And so Jesus is going, like, like why were you searching for me? This is not a question like, well, why were you searching for me? It is, well, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know? It's a gentle response to her question of panic. It goes on, verse 50. I love this next line because I can so relate to it but they did not understand what he was saying to them. This wouldn't be the first time, by the way. Imagine having Jesus in your house. Verse 51 and 52, let's read that together in the second gray box. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature 
and in favor with God and man. Now, if you're following along, here's what I want you to see about Jesus being 12 at the temple. First, Jesus' first recorded words are about my father. Again, if you're following along, Jesus' first recorded words are about my father. I hope if nothing else, you walk away thinking about this today. It's this whole idea of the way Jesus talked about God as my father. No one, no one had ever in human history done that before. The Jewish people would have never, ever taken that to themselves. In the Old Testament, Father is only mentioned 14 times, and it's always referred to in the sense of the nation of Israel being the father that way. And so it's always used in a general way, never, ever, ever used in this personal, intimate way that Jesus takes to himself. But if that's not enough, he takes it even further, and he, while he walks on earth, he uses the word in Aramaic, Abba, A-B-B-A, Abba. It's the word that little children would say when they were first learning to say, Daddy, Papa. And just like we do that as little children, this is the word that Jesus used. Shocking. Listen to what Kent Hughes says about this very thing. He says, when Jesus came on the scene, he addressed God only as Father. He never used anything else. All his prayers addressed God as Father. So striking is this that some scholars maintain that this word father dramatically capsulizes the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. No one had ever in the entire history of Israel spoken and prayed like Jesus. No one. But this amazing fact is only part of the story because the word Jesus used for father was not a formal word. It was a common Aramaic word with which a child would address its father, the word Abba. The great German New Testament scholar, Joachim Jeremias, perhaps the most respected New Testament scholar of his generation, has argued convincingly that Abba was the original word on Jesus' lips in the Lord's Prayer. And indeed, in all the prayers in the New Testament, with the exception of Matthew 27, 46, when Jesus cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But there, Jeremias explains, Jesus was quoting Psalm 22, 1. Jesus reverted to Father with the final words before his death, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And so Jesus uses this word, and Joachim Jeremias also goes on after studying Judaism, Islam, and every other Eastern religion and says there is no record that anyone would have ever talked to God that intimately, always much more in a general, distant way. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business. I had to be in my father's house. I had to be about the things of my father. And imagine Joseph saying, I'm right here. But there was this thing going on. And we're told, obviously, in the Gospels that Joseph is not his biological father by a miracle of the Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, this is all happening. So notice, notice the next thing. Jesus' words confuse his parents and create tension. That's the word I want you to circle, tension. You know, what this shows us is that Jesus is discovering who he is. And he's living that out, and he is learning that. And uh, yet, when he says that to his parents, 
It says in verse 50, they don't understand what he's saying, just like many of us don't. I certainly haven't understood this all the time. And it created tension. Some of us, like me being a pastor, I know the tension that I live with, with how do I please my Father in heaven and how do I also care about my family properly? It's a very easy balance to throw off, but it's a tension that many of us live with. You live with a tension like that in ways too, if you care about living and serving God and also loving your family or work or responsibilities. It's a tension that he lived with and this tension, they could feel it. Maybe you feel it even when I say it now. The next thing I want you to see is that Jesus has to learn his purpose and obey. Jesus has to learn his purpose and obey. Maybe while you're reading this account with me, you're thinking to myself, well, no wonder he like said this because he's Jesus. I mean, he's God. He had like so many advantages. I want you to know something. Jesus had to learn everything you and I have to learn. This is the amazing revelation of the Bible. Jesus was not omniscient here. He was not giving answers that were amazing people because he was Jesus as God, but Jesus as a human being who was also learning and having the revelation of God the Father grow in him. He grew in wisdom. He grew in favor, but it was a process. I'm not saying God has to grow. I'm saying God as a human being humbled himself and learned to grow. And that's an amazing thing. Here's what I mean. If you look at Philippians 2, look at what it says here. It says, you must have the same attitude. You must live the same way Christ Jesus did. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, his prerogatives. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. What a huge step down. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross, the lowest death you could have. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. Jesus had to learn this. And in one of the verses that I've listed out to the right that I still cannot completely get my mind around is Hebrews 5, 7 and 8. Look at these verses here. It says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Now here's the verse. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. The very life he calls us to live with him, he went first. He had to learn the things he calls us to learn. And he did it humbly. And he did it in a way that created tension for those around him. But he learned it. And he wants now to teach us. If you're following along, Jesus came to teach and open God's purpose for us. It wasn't just that Jesus came and said, he's my father, nah, 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 nah. No, he's my father. And the reason I came is because I want him to be your father in a way that will blow your circuits. Wow. And if he had just come to teach, it wouldn't have been enough, friends. It would have left us unchanged in the deepest part of ourselves. But instead, by his death and resurrection and ascension, he has opened a way for us to know 
God as my Father. Look at Galatians 4, 4 through 7. It's an amazing truth. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. What a possible life he opened for us. And the last thing I want you to see in this passage is that Jesus grew in wisdom and favor as he submitted himself, as he submitted himself. Being Americans, we actually avoid the word submit, like the plague, because we actually exalt human freedom, individual freedom to such a high level, because we think that's going to give us life. If I could just be free to do whatever I want, man, it's going to be great. That's going to be life. Some of us have tried doing whatever we want and found out it's not all it's sold up to be. But here's the thing I want you to see is that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God. Man, how? As he submitted himself. You see, not only did he ask his parents this question, but what did he do? He went home with them and he was obedient to them. He understood that just because God is my father does not mean that I trash my human relationships. No, I treat them even more humbly and more reverently, and he did. And he calls us to do the same. You know, there is a submission that has the spirit of have to, and there's a submission that has the spirit of want to. Which one do you think Jesus had? He wanted to obey his father. In the last service, my wife was sitting down front here, And I said that I have had the privilege of knowing her dad, my father-in-law. And I remember when I met her as a teenager, I watched the kind of reverence she had for her dad, the affection as well as the respect. And he, he is a tender man as well as a strong man. But I remember that I would watch her, that she did not want to disobey him because she was afraid of hurting him because of how much he meant to her. And this was the same kind of spirit Jesus submitted first to his heavenly father and also to his parents. It's a beautiful kind of submission. If you were to ask me as we come to this next part, the way of Jesus, what's the difference? What's the way of Jesus? It's childlikeness versus childishness. I don't know about you, but when he uses the phrase, my father, that implies that he's what? A child in responsive relationship. Now, you and I can be the kind of child that's childlike or childish. What's the difference? Attitude. When I'm childish, that means that I'm stubborn. Sometimes I'm not going to resist things. I'm not going to do that. When I'm childlike, that means I'm dependent, I'm trusting, I'm willing to be responsive to the Father. And that's what he's looking for. And the way of Jesus was a beautiful childlikeness where he never ran out ahead of his father. He never dragged his feet behind his father. Instead, he had this incredible heart with his father that he wants you and I to have too. And so as we think about this, let's bring this home. How do we learn the way of Jesus? How do we learn it? How do we live with this tension that we talked about? Well, first, what I want you to see Before you go any further in the notes, you may want to write this down, is that back in the Ephesians series, when we were learning about what Christ has done for us, Steve taught on adoption. 
And he taught about that relationship that can, we can have with our Father. And you may want to write this date down, March 15th, 2015, in case you want to review that message or you've never heard it. You can go to our website and go to the archives and listen to that message. It's very helpful, and it goes into more detail than I can right now. But let's think about what it means to learn the way of Jesus. You know, we want to be with Jesus so we can learn from Jesus how to be like Jesus. So here's the first. I just want to ask you four questions. Think with me about this. And the question that I'm, I'm, that's over all these is, what difference will it make if I begin to live as God is my father? So here's the first one. Am I learning to call God my father through Jesus? Am I learning to call God my father through Jesus? What do I mean by through Jesus? Some of you know this verse, John 14, 6. It says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father. By the way, if you study the Greek language that this New Testament was written in, no one means no one. No one comes to the Father except what? Through me. The only way you and I can come to the Father is through Jesus. I love the old hymn, Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son. And so this idea here is, am I learning to, to call God my Father through Jesus? And here's my own story. I don't know what yours is, but I've no, been walking with the Lord for 35 years now. And what I discovered a few years ago as I was spending time with Jesus is that I don't pray very often to the Father. Most of my prayers would start, Lord Jesus or Lord and there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible says is that there's all kinds of prayers with different ways to address God. You can address God as Father. You can address God as Jesus. You can address God as the Holy Spirit. There's prayers that start all that way. It's just that the, Jesus said, I want, I want to teach you something. I want you to call him Father more often like I did here on earth. And so I began to do that. And as I did, I began to have a sense of he's my providing God. He's the God who takes care of me. He's the God that watches over me. He's the God who gives me wisdom. He's the God who teaches me. He's the God who disciplines me for my good. He's my father. And just by saying, starting my prayers, thoughtfully going, Father. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, remember he said, our what? Father. So started out that way. Notice another thing, though, on the back of the notes, this is kind of like extra credit, I know. But if you want to find out more about how Jesus referred to God as Father, I listed all the different places in the Gospels over 135 times that you can see that addressed. And I found this very helpful to study this this week. You'll see that if you circle the ones that just are in Luke, there's about 13 of those, plus I put Luke 15 in brackets, which is the incredible story that only Luke includes of the parable of the prodigal son. Talk about a picture of a father who has a heart for his sons. It's just an incredible thing. And so again, if you want to study those, and I'll mention some of these other verses as we go along, but you can turn it back over to the front. And what I want you to see is this next thing. Am I growing in Abba, A-B-B-A, Father's love for me? Am I growing in Abba, Father's love for me? Now, remember I talked about tension? This is where the tension happens for a lot of people. Some of us haven't had a father like my wife had. Some of us have. But in this room, and I can tell you just by talking to people this week, 
in this room, there are people that have had absent fathers, they've had abusive fathers, they've had demanding fathers who were never satisfied. Others have had distant fathers, emotionally, nurturing-wise. I don't know what it is for you. So when you think about Jesus teaching you how to begin to know and call on God as your father, that begins to be a tense thing in your heart, perhaps. But when you come to know Jesus, even if you've never had the kind of earthly father that you long for, you still long for a perfect father, don't you? And that is what Jesus came to give all of us, no matter what kind of earthly father we've had. And I've watched this change people's lives from the inside out. The kind of sense of a caring, nurturing, even disciplining love kind of caring from a father like that is amazing. I could talk about this for a lot, but some of you know the comedian Michael Jr. On YouTube, he put something like this that kind of captures what I want you to see. Yo, comedian Michael Jr. here. As you know, I just flat out enjoy doing comedy. But one of the things I love way more than that is being a dad. Not too long ago, I'm going through some video footage and I run into this video of my youngest daughter being born. Now, of course, I was there. I actually took the video, but I had never really experienced it from this perspective before. Now, look, we're in the hospital room. She's uh, sticky and she's baby and all that stuff. And she's in the middle of crying. And then I speak up. I start talking to her and watch how she responds when she hears my voice. Okay, Portland, look, I'm right here. It's okay, it's okay. I'm right here, I'm right here. We're doing just fine. It's okay, it's okay, I'm right here. Right here, yeah, it's okay. It's okay, baby, it's okay. That was pretty awesome. <laughs> so check it. A few minutes later, uh, the nurse starts working on her, puts her pamper on her, and uh, I'm not saying anything, and she actually starts to cry again. Then I speak up, she hears my voice and stops crying, like again. But I want you to notice what else happens after I tell her that I love her. Portland, it's okay. It's okay, it's good, it's good, it's good. I'm right here, I'm right here. I am right here. I love you, I love you. I love you. Yeah, I'm right here. I'm right here. It's okay. It's okay. That's just phenomenal. I'm like, whoa. Here's the thing. We'll always have times where we're not as comfortable, probably even to the point of tears, where life is just heavy. The key thing to do in those moments is to be still and listen for the Father's voice. Because he is trying to talk to you. And I can tell you what he wants you to know is that he loves you. All you got to do is open your eyes. Are you growing in the kind of 
confidence that comes from being loved by your father like that, but also the kind of humility that also can come. That when we get criticized, it doesn't have to ruin us because we know our father is for us. And at the same time, when we're challenged within relationships, we can be humble because we know that our father wants us to respond that way instead of in pride or pushing for ourselves. And so it's just a powerful thing. And that leads to this next thing where there's still lots of tension, by the way, at least for me, is am I submitting myself to do my father's will? Am I submitting myself to do my father's will? Or am I being childish about something? Friends, I don't know what it might be for you. I, I don't know what the challenges are, but I know that the, as Jesus teaches me his way, there are times that I have to ask myself, am I going to spend my life doing what I want or am I going to spend my life doing what my father created me to do with him? I must be about my father's business. I must be about the work, the things of my father instead of just about what I think's best for me. And that's why this prayer that you see on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Mark 14, these are just incredibly beautiful words that really bring this home. Notice how Jesus prayed that night. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. When you and I live that way more, not my will, Father, but yours, I'll tell you what, that's the only way to grow in wisdom. Someone might say, well, I'm successful, and said, they haven't grown in wisdom. They've grown in stature, height, but they haven't grown in wisdom. Why? Because we choose to be childish. It never moves us forward. It never does, ultimately, in character. But when we choose to be childlike, humble, responsive to our Father, trusting him, putting our hand in his hand, what a different way to do life, submitting to him instead of being a fighter. Am I learning this last one to give myself to his family and say, our father? Am I learning to give myself to his family and say, our father? I've talked to you about this many times. We live in the United States where there's so many disconnected Christians and so many of us say Jesus and me. And yet Jesus died for a church. He died for body of Christ. And he wants us to learn how to do life together. And that's why when he was teaching his disciples to pray, he didn't say, pray this way, my father. How did he teach him to pray? Our father. Therefore, I need to always be conscious that I am part of a larger family that he cares about just as much as he cares about me. And also beyond our family, he cares about people that aren't part of the family yet. And he wants us to be in our thinking rather than just thinking about myself. And so are you learning how to do that? You remember the first few lines of the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, you might want to say them with me, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. What's the last line? Thy will be done. Beautiful prayer. When we learn to pray that together, isn't it? And so here's the last question that I have there for the notes. It's actually a prayer. And that is, Father, make yourself known to me as I yield to you. Father, make yourself known to me. Is this your desire today? Do you have a hunger as you learn the way of Jesus to know the Father more and more like he wants you and I to? Make yourself known to me as I yield to you. Interestingly, by the way, you can close your, you can put your notes away. Here's a verse that he said, by the way, right before he ascended into heaven. 
Matthew, I mean, excuse me, John 20, verse 17. I love this. He said to the woman that found him outside the tomb, go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father. And what's the next part? And your father, to my God and your God. This is why Jesus came, to make this not just words on paper, but an experience in our life. And this last week, I experienced that. I've been meeting with some other pastors in our city, people I've never known before, to pray with them for our city. I've been doing that the last six months, eight months. Also meeting some of them for lunch, just getting to know them. And one of the guys that was praying just near me on Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon, uh, I, as I went to pray, across the tick of my mind, this thought went through my mind. I wonder if it's coming up on the anniversary of his wife's death, the first year anniversary. Uh, this guy is on staff at another church and he, um, he lost his wife about a year ago and left three young boys. And any of us that know him are just so touched because the marriage they had was one of the most unique, special relationships of closeness and intimacy that I've ever known. So when you have a loss that big, it's harder to walk. You walk with a limp. So after the prayer time was over, I went over to him and I said, hey, I, I'm trying to remember when is the anniversary of your, and I named his wife's home going. He said, it's tomorrow. I said, I'm praying for you. He says, please do or I'll die. I thought, well, that kind of sounds extreme. He goes, no, I mean it. It is so hard some days that if it wasn't for the help of my, here's the word he used, father in heaven, I wouldn't be able to do it. And he says, I've been getting so much out of John 17 lately. It's also on the back of your notes if you want to look it up. It's the prayer Jesus prayed to his father in the garden that night where he prays to his father. And he says, I see how Jesus didn't just pray for his disciples then. He prayed for those of us that would one day believe in him and to know that Jesus is praying for me that I might know my father's love, my father's truth, my father's wisdom has helped me more than I can possibly tell you to keep walking. He wants to help us in more ways than you can possibly imagine. He's our father. He's our faithful father in heaven. So where are you at this morning? How do you need to trust your father for the first time and become a follower of Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus and you need to trust him with something very specific that you're having a hard time trusting him with? Take some moments and think about that now. And let's just turn to God our Father together.
So now, Lord, we come to you with childlike hearts. If there's any lingering childishness in us, oh God, we surrender it to you, we yield it to you, that we might become the kind of children Jesus was and wants us to be. And as we do, we know you'll help us grow in wisdom and in favor and in a relationship with you that can't be found anywhere else from anyone else. Bless your name for opening the way for us. You are so faithful, God, our Father.